Welcome to What I Wish I Knew by Dental Head Start, your weekly mentoring session thanks to cpdjunkie.com.au. Hey everyone, this is Chidham and welcome to the What I Wish I Knew podcast by Dental Head Start. Today we're going to be talking about a slightly controversial subject, one that there are lots of opinions on. Um, It's the subject of GP dentists performing orthodontic treatment. Now, there are some orthodontic specialists out there that are of the opinion that GP dentists, general dentists, should not really be performing orthodontic treatment. And one of the reasons they argue is that there's just too vast a difference between the depth of education that an orthodontist receives versus the relatively limited education that's available for general dentists to um, start picking up ortho and, and start performing orthodontic treatment for patients. Um, so not having the full support of our specialist colleagues is a little bit is a little bit concerning. Um, it doesn't give us much confidence and it's already such a, a daunting educational pursuit that it is really is it's a little bit concerning for us. And not only that, there are so many strongly held opinions out there about different aspects of orthodontic treatment. It might be like extraction versus non-extraction. Um, clear aligners versus fix, what age should you intervene, Um, airway involvement and the degree of airway involvement in the etiology of orthodontic um, um, diagnoses. So this just all further adds to the confusion. So Dr. Tim Maxwell has really um, gained a really balanced perspective on the landscape of ortho education for general dentists. He learned the importance of not just signing up for any course and adopting um, the potentially opinionated beliefs of the education provider, but um, learning how to critically evaluate um, education providers so that you can start performing um, orthodontic treatment with a lot of competency and also a really good um, balance of the breadth of what's out there. He starts by sharing with us his early experiences in Singapore where GPs were performing ortho at far higher rates than here in Australia. Yeah, like absolutely. Like when I was over there, I did notice a lot of dentists were doing ortho. And I mean, I hadn't practiced in Australia, but coming from Western Australia, where GP ortho was just like almost unheard of, um, to go over there and see people doing ortho. And I was like, this is super cool. And I saw some people doing some really cool cases and doing them well and some really, really skilled GP ortho clinicians. And I thought like, I felt after graduating that you have to choose a pathway. Do I want to go implants? And, and put all my time and money into learning implants. Do I want to learn ortho? You have to pick something, um, you know, because, I mean, I'm still trying to learn as much ortho as I can, but at the same time learning implants. And it's just it's just overwhelming at times. There's so much to learn. So I really feel that when you graduate, you need to pick a path, right? And that doesn't mean that you're stuck in that path for your career, which is the beauty of being a GP. You can do whatever you want. But I think from a learning perspective, it's too much to take on that I'm going to, 
second year out, I'm going to do ortho courses, I'm going to do implant courses. You, you need to pick something. Yeah, but because certainly both of those deserve the depth um, because there's just, you know, you, you don't know what you don't know. And uh, actually when I learned implants, yeah. I, let's just say the more I learned about implants, the fewer I did initially because the more I yeah. knew about it. So you started really yeah. sort of diving deep into ortho. Where, where did you get a lot of your education from? What was your experience yes. with, with learning about ortho? <laughs> so yes yeah, so i started doing Derek mahoney's course in um in singapore and i was uh because he actually started doing that course over there in singapore so i was probably about seven or eight modules into that and had some mates simultaneously doing progressive ortho at the same time and I, I know a lot of people had done progressive ortho and then subsequently gone on and done um, mahoney it seemed like a natural progression a lot of people got their basic understanding from pos and then they wanted to move on into into Damon Ortho and then went on and did and did Mahoney and I sort of did it the other way. I was doing Mahoney and then I started doing POS simultaneously. So I was taking both uh, Derek Mahoney's and POS at the same time, um, which was costing me a lot of money <laughs> and not something I would recommend. I'd recommend doing. But uh, and then after a while, I was doing a lot. I was I was POS focuses more on. Um, conventional techniques, probably closer to what the orthodontists are doing, which is um, a lot of uh, premolar extractions where required and um, maintaining arch forms and things like that, which is vastly different from um, from the EODO philosophies. And and I guess that clicked with me more. I, I always felt like I, if I was going to be doing ortho, I wanted to be doing it closer um, in philosophy to what the orthodontists were doing. Uh, I thought that would med- dento legally um, – I thought dental legally that was a safer way to go, at least for me. So I started trying to really stick to conventional principles and and not do anything too out there um, and just just keep it safe. Yeah. So what are, I mean, if Mm. we can just speak frankly, um, Mm. what are the common um, debates? um, You know, for young dentists who come out, they're they're not really totally familiar with all the ortho debates out there. But can you just familiarise ourselves? What are the common... um, voices that are that have opposing opinions out there yeah so i think orthodontics is one of those things where um where fads come and go and i think um you you look you look back in the history of orthodontics and there was periods where there was a lot everyone was getting their premolars taken out then they went through periods where expansion was all the rage and there was non-extraction and extractions came back in um there's retention debates and now we're in this era of um non-extraction is the big thing of expanding arches not extracting premolars and this and this belief that um extraction of premolars uh, can in- increase his uh, risk of sleep apnea through um reduction in tongue space and airway and things like that that's something that i got super into and i know a lot of this like really controversial and I'm, people are probably going to hate me for saying this but there just isn't that much evidence that premolar there's, there's basically no evidence that premolar extractions cause sleep apnea but um and, and that belief has has really it's it's huge now. It's really really big to the point where um, you know you have dentists advertising themselves as non extraction, um, doing non extraction orthodontics and and airway friendly orthodontics. And you just got to be really careful and and really look personally look into how much evidence there is behind this sort of stuff and and whether it's whether it's whether it's the right thing to be doing. I'm not I'm not going to tell people what to think, but. I would say look more deeply into it and, and don't believe everything you hear about about um, the idea that moving positions of teeth is going to ruin someone's airway because there's just not that much evidence behind it. Yeah, look, I think one of the big messages um, or, or the big 
lessons that you've learned, certainly I've learned, is when you're learning about a concept that, um, you know, it's a little bit uh, not controversial, but, you know, a lot of people are opinion, opinionated about particular mm. concepts or philosophies. It's really critical to gain exposure to um, not to both sides of the argument and mm. and really think for yourself where one would apply over another. The reason yeah. why non-extraction, I guess, is so popular is because they're Probably were cases, you know, 30 years mm. ago where premole extractions yeah. were overprescribed and maybe yeah. some people did suffer really retracted mouths and, mm. um, you know, minimised airway. Potentially, I have yeah. no doubt that's why non-extraction is popular because it was overdone mm. in some cases. But we yeah. don't want to go too far the other way now where we're not prescribing where it's not appropriate because certainly... With the variation of diagnoses out there, there are going to be cases mm. where it is still the most appropriate um, yeah. uh, pr procedure to do. 100%. And there's a lot of big claims are made about, um, about uh, you know, the idea that, that you can grow bone using certain types of brackets, like like, uh, like passive self-ligating brackets, that they're low force and they'll grow bone and therefore you don't need to extract teeth because they're going to expand the arch and grow bone with it. There's there's no evidence of that, and 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 Damon has been they've been shut down. They they can't make those claims anymore. Uh, but that's something that a lot of people don't know is that you can't just expand every case because you're going to blow you're going to blow roots through the buccal plate. You're going to cause recession. It's really good business for periodontists because they're going to have to graft these recession cases when the teeth have been massively proclined and massively expanded. I'd just say be, be really careful with, with a lot of the things you hear and just think critically and, and, as you say, just expose yourself to different opinions on it because you can go too far down that, that, that rabbit hole and, um, yeah. and, and end up in a, in a sort of pseudoscience sort of area. Ripe Global is an incredible resource, especially in these times where travel is a little bit difficult, but we're also realising it's not always necessary for our education. Especially when we're starting our career, we just want to get as much as we can, and a platform like Ripe Global's membership is perfect for that. But Ripe Global is a lot more than that. They've got the fellowship in restorative dentistry, and while it's already started with the posterior dentistry course, they've just released the anterior dentistry course, one where you're going to learn about composites, aesthetics, isolation and indirect work as well. One of the hardest things to do in dentistry is the single front tooth and this course is aimed at helping you improve that skill. Find out more at ripeglobal.com or check out the show notes and you can get 30% off a membership all from the comfort of your own home. And so as GPs, how do we go about bridging that gap in knowledge between what orthodontists know and what we know? What do you think is the best way that GPs can immerse themselves in ortho education? Yeah, I think it's really, it's, it's well, the best way for them to immerse themselves in education is really to take multiple courses. And I think that's one thing I'm really glad I did was that don't just take one course and play with that philosophy because you, you graduate from dentistry and you have this perception that the industry is like super credible and like it's super professional and it's not like the, the, the CPE landscape is, it's like the wild west, right? Like, like anyone can run a course, like me and Bill and me here can run a no, course. No, you like guys are cowboys. But, <laughs> but it is true. Like, like anyone can run a course and, and everyone's got an agenda. Everyone's got a product they're selling. Everyone's, everyone's got a, everyone's got an agenda and and if you're only taking one course and you go full in that, you can you can get swept up in some 
one's agenda. And I think the most important thing is that you can't learn everything from one course. If you're going to pick an area, you need to be doing multiple courses in that area. Otherwise, you, you're just not going to get the full picture. Yeah. Okay. So if we, if us GPs learn as much as we can about ortho, can you talk to us a little bit? I'm really passionate about GP ortho as well because I love having yeah. it in my armamentarium. Let's talk a little bit about why GPs should have ortho knowledge and how it, how we can benefit our patients if we actually bring this treatment modality into our treatment planning. Yeah, it, it changes everything. It, when you, orthodontics is really a full math rehab, and I think your orthodontic knowledge, even if you do an orthodontics course and you, and you feel that ortho is not for you, um, especially fix, I think without a therapist on your side, it can really eat into your time. It can, and when I was doing so much ortho in the past, that it, it just consumed so much of my time, um, wire changes and things like that. <laughs> and, um, it, it, can, it can really eat into your time unless you're doing alignments and stuff like that. So um, I can't even remember what was the question again. I've just like lost my time. No, that's all right. Everybody <laughs> goes, goes down this path. But like what yeah. does it mean for our treatment planning? And, yeah, so, and in terms of like um, biomimetic dentistry, what, is it, yeah. what does it mean to have this ortho knowledge? Yeah, it, it changes everything, as I say, because even if you take an ortho course and you decide the ortho is not for you and you don't want to go into it, it, it helps you in every other area of dentistry. When you're going to be doing your rehabilitations and, and you, you, you're going to be changing bites, if you've got some ortho knowledge, then that helps massively. It's also really good for orthodontists because a lot of a lot of ortho problems go undiagnosed by GPs, I think, where and I re still refer a lot of cases off. Um to orthodontists, you know, cases that I just know are beyond my abilities. I've definitely gotten more conservative over time. I used to do everything that came in my door and now I'm much more selective with my cases and, and working with an orthodontist. So I think number one, it's good for orthodontists. Number two, it's good for us. It helps you in, it helps you in every facet of your rehabilitations. It really helps your pros. So I think it's really good knowledge to have. Plus, as you say, pre-restorative ortho is, is a massive tool that every, every GP should have which is a simple pre-restorative ortho before doing your aesthetic cases. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've had multiple mm -hmm. veneer cases. People coming, you know, they want that gorgeous smile, but tooth position is such a major factor in the final outcome of, um, you know, a treatment result. If people yeah. are really quick to go, oh, no, I don't want to have, because they imagine, you know, what their teenagers went through, three years of braces. It doesn't have to be yeah. like that. Adult yeah. pre-restorative ortho or pre-implants can be um, hugely beneficial. I mean, we've all had yeah. cases of missing lower molars where the where the seven has tipped really measly. Mm. If it's a yeah. single seven, you know, that's easy to upright. It's easy to keep clean. It's easy to maintain. You don't have to mm. cut it. Um, so it's, to me... Doing ortho means less drilling of tooth structure. Hundred percent. Like, and everyone wants to have their teeth drilled less. So when you do your veneer consults, a lot of people will come in saying, "I don't want my teeth drilled," and we'll say, "Well, look, if your teeth are protrusive, if I'm going to stick no prep veneers on there, they're going to look ridiculous, right?" We can either drill your teeth or we can do some pre-restorative ortho and we can bring those teeth back and we can minimise the amount of preparation that we're doing. And that's a win-win. And when obviously a lot of people, I think, are concerned about the additional cost that the orthodontics is going to bring into it. But I think you'll find that most patients, um, especially when you consider, number one, that if you are doing pre-restorative ortho, it does give the patient the ability to spread out the cost over a longer period of time. And number two, I think when a patient hears how much their tooth is going to have to be drilled, they'll usually be happy to pay the extra money for the orthodontics to minimise that amount of drilling. And number three, I think if it's a big case, you usually discount the ortho somewhat just to make life easier. Yeah. <laughs> At least 
least I will. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is a win-win, win-win-win yeah. yeah. in that situation. So yeah. that's fantastic. There are a lot of really, really great um, ortho courses out there mm. so that we can learn. And, and yes, to our orthodontic colleagues who we um, really respect and we need to work with them, mm. um, this certainly doesn't mean that we are you know, giving them less ortho cases. Mm. If anything, the more I've learned about something and the more I've taken on, the more I've referred. 100%. Because I'm maybe a better diagnostician. 100%, like absolutely. And and 100% we should be allowed to do orthodontics. I think the idea that GPs shouldn't be allowed to do orthodontics is just a joke because, you know, are we going to start sending our scale and cleans to a periodontist? Are we going to start sending every single root canal to an endodontist just because they can do it better or, or they've had specialist training? We're not. And orthodontics is no different. It's a part of dentistry and, and the GP has every right to do orthodontics. But if you're going to do it, do it correctly. <laughs> do it properly, all right? Yeah. Put in the effort. As dentists and dental students, we all have difficult days. You may experience workplace or training demands that have a direct impact on your physical, emotional and psychological health and well-being. This is exactly what dental practitioner support is for. It's a completely confidential and independently run service that's funded by the Dental Board of Australia in an effort to support practitioners and dental students right across the country. Sometimes people call just at the end of a long day to debrief, but sometimes they call because there's more challenging things going on. Dental practitioner support is there for you in these times to give proactive advice, help you improve your health and well-being before there are major concerns. We all need a helping hand sometimes and it's okay to ask for help. So if you find you need it, call 1-800-377-700 or visit the website dpsupport.org.au. They have loads of great information to get you started. The onus is on the GP to educate yourself to the to a standard where you are providing um, really really sound sign you know um, evidence based treatment. Yeah. Um, do you have any courses that you, you already mentioned? POS is a really great place to start. Any other? What I love, I really loved POS, and what I really loved about it is there's a lot of mentorship available, so you can pay mentorship for your cases, and I still do that if I get difficult cases in. I'll pay, you know, four hundred dollars consulting fee, and and have one of their, well, have one of the, the the POS instructors look over the case and and develop a treatment plan with me, and they will help you through those cases. And it costs you money, but when you think about it, the cost of brackets for a case maybe three hundred dollars, uh, consulting fee maybe four hundred dollars. It's still less of a lab fee than Invisalign, right? And I think that's a super safe way to go. You shouldn't just think because you've sat through a course you can do every single case. Like you have to have that mentorship and it's so important. So it's gotten me out of so many situations. Oh, absolutely. Um, I I actually, um, I, I don't do fixed ortho, but I do a lot mm-hmm. of Invisalign. And to this day, I think I, I still pay for um, uh, mentorship services. So yeah. individually we sit down with cases that I know they're my patients. I'm very familiar with the case and yeah. we walk through different examples. I use Ortho Partners, which um, has um, Dr. Rhonda Coyne, an amazing yeah. ortho in Queensland. Mm. Um, um, I think there's four orthos on there. Um, and I actually like to alternate between all four of them because they're a little mm. bit different in their approach. I, I trust their experience. Yeah, but yeah. it actually gives me exposure to, like, all the different ways that, you know, you would a- approach a case. Yeah. It's one thing listening. As you said, it's one thing listening in a course. But when you're working through a real-life example mm. of a case you're familiar with, yeah. the learning, like, learning points, I suppose, mm. the education factor is 
sky high. It's, it's yeah. just through the roof. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's real live experience. And that, that's one, I think there's always been that gap between us, between with GPs trying to learn all those. It's the biggest issue is we haven't had mentorship available. And the biggest thing that's changed is the internet because the internet's allowed us to submit records, submit cars, speak to an instructor on Zoom to, to really have that ability. And, and that just wasn't there in the past. So I can understand the idea that we'll say, well, well, orthodontists went through university and had all of these supervised cases. But as a GP, you can do that as well. You just have to be willing to spend the money and the money's oh, worth absolutely. it. Your patient benefits, you, you benefit. Like I, I, I've done mentorship with, for so many cases and I still do it all the time. Um, not for every single case, but certainly for anything that I feel is just beyond my level of difficulty. And I certainly have never felt that I've just done a course and I'm just out there tackling cases, you know. Yeah. I'm still doing a lot of mentorship. I submitted a case for mentorship yesterday, an ortho case. Um, it's it's just so important. It's the only way to learn because absolutely an orthodontist goes to university and is supervised to do a whole lot of cases by world-class specialists. And as a GP, if you just think that you're going to rock up and do a couple of weekend courses and then start treating cases to the same standard, you're absolutely not. You need to be doing mentorship for years. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And in terms of the cost factor, this is yeah. just the one thing you definitely don't want to be stingy on. Um, when I, I was using ortho mm. partners, the cases I submitted were so complex. In the end, a handful of them did not end up going <laughs> ahead with the orthodontic treatment. And I did not care. I, In fact, I didn't even want them to go ahead because it proved to be yeah. so complex. It was beyond what was predictable. But I, I still understand. paid that money just to have the experience to yeah. go, this is where the author would draw the line because sometimes we don't know the mm. line. As you know how you mentioned earlier, um, probably in the previous podcast, you reject more cases than you take on these days because that line is not so yeah. fuzzy anymore. Um, yeah. And over time we do really need that experience to to clarify it, but we don't need to... Uh, Eric, we can really expedite that process by gaining that live experience from from mentors. And and Tim, you're yeah. an amazing mentor yourself. I'm sure you um, collaborate with a lot of colleagues and you have a lot to give. So mm. we look forward to what you yeah. have to offer. Um, and I have no doubt your um, your role in educate in the education space and dentistry will just only grow bigger. Yeah, absolutely. Like I just, I, I'm really passionate about GP Ortho in the sense that I really think that um, it's something that, that people should be doing. But um, I think the, there's been a problem on both sides. I think uh, GPs have been taking on cases that are beyond their abilities and making mistakes. And, and, and that opens us up to attack from the orthodontist. But at the same time, the orthodontists uh, have certainly not been so welcoming to GPs doing orthodontics and not providing mentorship. There's issues on both sides. And I think that the as GPs, for us to bridge that gap, we, we, we need to say that we want to work we, we want to work with the orthodontist, but we need to take responsibility to do our cases properly and do them with mentorship and not just freestyle. <laughs> and I think that if, if we do that part, we're, we're, we're meeting them halfway. Yeah, I think that's perfectly sensible. Thank you so much for listening to the Dental Head Start podcast. I genuinely hope this is helping you become a better dentist. So if you like what you're hearing, make sure you subscribe on your podcast player and I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to social media and share something that you've appreciated from us with one of your friends. That's how the word gets out. That's how more people gain and benefit from what we're doing. And if you're a dental student or a graduate and you want to get a head start, go to dentalheadstart.com to find everything we're doing to help dental students become great dentists.